Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We're going to be focusing our attention on verse 7 of chapter 11, but we'll read the first seven verses. This morning, as I was getting ready with the lightning and the thunder and the rain, I thought, man, this is a great Sunday to be preaching on Noah, <laughs> as we will be today. The Lord's provided us a great environment in which to do this. Now, as you can imagine, Noah, as he was building his ark, received quite a bit of ridicule. What is he doing out there? He's building a ship on dry land? Why is he wasting all of his time, his money, his resources on this project? We can imagine that Noah looked crazy to all of his neighbors and his relatives as he acted on faith. That is, until it began to rain. Our passage for today continues the Hall of Faith, moving to the subject of Noah. Now, Noah was the great-grandson of Enoch, who we covered last week, and we are told that he too, like his great-grandfather Enoch, walked with the Lord. In the days of Noah, sinfulness had grown to the point that God had determined that He would destroy the earth by a great flood. We read that amid this sinfulness, the Lord showed His favor to Noah and warned him of the coming judgment, but also of the salvation that was offered. As the well-known events play out, Noah receives warning from the Lord that this great flood will come to the earth in 120 years. And in response, he was instructed to build this huge boat called an ark. And through this ark, Noah and his family would be saved along with the animals of the earth. Noah was obedient to God's call, and he built this ark. And when the floodwaters finally arrived, he and his whole house were saved. You see, God's salvation of Noah so many years ago is used throughout the New Testament, even as we see here in Hebrews 11, as a paradigm for how we are to understand our own salvation in Christ. The Word of God teaches us that judgment will come to this world because of sin, but it also tells us of the way of salvation in Christ. Noah's ark is a type of Christ. That means that those who would be saved must trust the Word of God and enter to, into Christ by faith. Through Him, the waters of judgment will be abated, and all who are in Christ will be saved from the coming judgment. It is this paradigm through which the author to the Hebrews understands Noah's life and applies it to his readers and therefore to us. We are to emulate the faith of Noah because he believed the Word of God, that judgment was coming, and that salvation was offered. The way to be delivered, therefore, is not through works of righteousness, but rather through faith in the salvation that God offers in the ark, which is Jesus Christ. And yet Noah's faith was not inactive. It was a faith that produced effects. It was a faith that led to works. For Noah's faith would have been meaningless if he believed that God was to destroy the world through this flood, but he did nothing in response. 
His faith would have been a false faith if he did not act on what God called him to do. For Noah was saved by God's grace through faith alone, but his faith did not remain alone. His faith had effects. His faith changed his mind. It changed his heart. His faith changed his behavior. It changed the world, and it changed his future. And this is what we see in our passage for today. That true faith in Jesus Christ has real effects. And if we would follow Noah's example of faith, then we too must be changed by faith. So hear now the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 7. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father God, we come to you now in this time and we pray that even as Noah received your word and believed, Lord, that we too, as we hear your word, Lord, would have the grace to receive your word in faith, to lay it up in our hearts and to practice it in our lives. We pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen. As you see in your outline, we have five points for our sermon this morning, so we're going to go ahead and get right to it. The first thing that we see in our text for this morning is that faith believes God's promise. That is to say, true faith changes what we think is true about the future. Look at verse 7 of our text again. We will go through this verse. It says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. You see, there was no indication in Noah's day that the world was going to be destroyed by a flood. There were no weathermen who were forecasting torrential rains for 40 days and 40 nights. The future was unseen and it was unknown. And human beings, we are horrible at seeing past our present circumstances into the future to show us how we should live in the present. In 1876, Western Union concluded this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered a means of communication. 
1903, Henry Ford was told, the horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty. 1946, movie producers confidently explained, television won't last because people will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box. In 1977, the president of Digital Media Corporation looked into the future and with confidence said, there is no reason for any individual to own a computer at home. The people in the days of Noah looked at him, working away at his ark, and with just as much confidence and ignorance declared, God would never destroy the earth by a flood, so what are you wasting your time for? Jesus, in the book of Matthew, says, In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came. You see, apart from faith in God's word, Noah would not have known a flood was coming. His mind would have remained in ignorance and darkness, but by His grace, God told Noah beforehand what he could not see on his own. He told Noah that judgment was coming to the earth because of sin, but He promised Noah that there would be salvation through this ark. And the same is true for us today. For the Word of God tells us something that is unseen. Something that we cannot know on our own. Something that seems foolish to the world. Namely, that one day the Lord Jesus Christ will return to judge both the living and the dead. And that those who remain out of Him will experience eternal destruction for the wages of sin is death. There is not one who can be saved by their own but there's also a promise that is offered in the Word of God that all who flee to the ark of Christ will be saved from this judgment. That by Christ's sacrifice for sin, He's cleansed us from unrighteousness. And in the day of judgment, we will be acquitted and brought into a new creation. A creation cleansed not by water this time, but by fire. And in this new land, there will be no more pain or sorrow or death. We look around and we think everything will continue the way that it has. We think that things will just always be the same. But again, the words of Jesus tell us what we are to think. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. This is the first effect of faith. Faith hears the Word of God and believes what we cannot know on our own. We're no good at predicting the future, but God in His grace has warned us of what is to come and the way of salvation through faith in Christ. But true faith does not merely remain in the mind. It has more effects than that. It moves from the mind to the heart. 
Look at verse 7 of our text and we see how it moves from true thoughts to proper emotion. By faith, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear. You see, the information that God gave to Noah was believed, and we see that it was truly believed because Noah reverently feared God. We need to get this order correct because often we are drawn to approach this in the wrong way. We allow our heart, our emotions, to lead us to think in some way rather than allowing to see what is true to lead what we feel. What do I mean by this? Well, we can imagine that Noah warning those living in his day that God was going to flood the earth, that they would respond the way that many people today respond when they hear of God's coming judgment. I don't think God would do that. God is a God of love. Would love really allow for so many people to be destroyed? That doesn't feel right. There is an emotion that is leading the train, not truth. The proper way to respond is to allow the truth of His Word to direct how we feel, not to allow how we feel to direct what we believe. Sure, we might want a God who would never bring judgment, a God that is soft and cuddly grandpa, genie in the sky that gives me what I want, but that's not reality. And therefore, we are to see the truth of His coming judgment and reverently fear Him. Now, we must understand that the fear of the Lord is not primarily about dread. Rather, it is proper respect and reverence that leads us to worship in obedience. The fear of the Lord is the proper emotional response that believes in His judgment, but also believes in His gospel. It is fear that drove Noah toward God, seeing that God alone could save him. And so too must we fear the Lord in such a way that we are driven into His arms of salvation, seeing that the only proper response to His warning is to take shelter under His wings. Proverbs 14 tells us, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. When we fear the Lord, we will find refuge and deliverance from death. For true faith changes our emotions. It gives us a proper fear of the Lord that will drive us into the shelter of His wings, drive us into the ark, drive us into Christ where we experience God's love and care and salvation. Now, it seems as though there has always been this tension within the church between the concept of faith and works. Our sinfulness leads us to misunderstand how they relate to one another. On the one hand, there's a tendency to believe that we are saved by our works. But the Bible clearly teaches that we're not saved by works of the law, but rather by God's grace through faith alone. On the other hand, 
there's a tendency to think that if, well, if I'm not saved by works, and works then are not necessary. They are good, but optional. But the Bible also clearly teaches that faith without works is dead. That is to say, if faith doesn't lead to action, it is not true faith. John Calvin, commenting on this tension, wrote, We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves never comes alone. True faith believes God's promise, fears God's promise, and it acts on God's promise. For in what way could we say that Noah had faith if his belief and fear of God did not lead him to build the ark? Again, verse 7, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. You see, Noah was not saved by his righteousness. He was saved by God's grace through faith in his word. Nevertheless, his faith would have been absolutely meaningless if he didn't build the ark. Faith has to be the root, but works, response to that faith, has to be the fruit. Works naturally come from a mind that believes and a heart that fears God. In January of 2020, the stock for telecommunications company Zoom was trading at $70. It was a company that most of us, I believe, had never heard of. But within nine months, Zoom became a household word, and the stock was worth $560 a share. And we all understand why, because of COVID. But in January, we couldn't see the future. We didn't know the events that were to transpire. However, if you would have received word of what was going to happen, You could have made close to a thousand percent profit if you would have been willing to invest your money in Zoom at that point. But only if you acted on it. Only if you actually had faith that that was going to happen and invested your money would you gain a return. Noah was saved because he had faith in God. He was saved by faith alone. But the faith that saved him didn't come alone. It came with obedience to build an ark for the saving of himself and of his whole household. He invested everything that he was, everything that he had, because he believed the word of God. And we who are in Christ, we too must have a faith that leads us to obedience Not because we're saved by that obedience, but rather because true faith acts on God's promises. True faith invests its talents with God. And you need to ask yourself, particularly in this Advent season, as we look forward to the coming of Christ, am I living like the people in the days of Noah, ignorant of the coming judgment, investing everything that I have, all of my time, all of my energy, all of my resources, all of my thoughts into this world that is going to perish? Or am I investing in the world that is to come? For if you have faith in God, it will change the way that you live. 
It will lead you to acts of mercy and forgiveness. If you have faith in God, it will bring about works of love and self-sacrifice. If your faith is true faith, it will lead you to worship God with all of your life, investing not in this world, but in the world that is to come. And this leads us to our fourth point. Faith affects our mind, our heart, our actions, and it affects our world because faith proclaims God's promise. Look again at verse 7. As these effects of faith now are building on each other. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world. By this, that's by his faith, Noah condemned the world. The Bible tells us that Noah not only built an ark, but that he proclaimed the message of God's word. In Second Peter, we read that Noah was a herald of righteousness. He was a preacher, speaking the warning of judgment and the way of salvation, but there were only eight persons saved. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. The message he proclaimed and the life of faith that he lived was the point of demarcation between those who were condemned and those who were saved. Between those who survived and those who were lost. And we too are called to condemn the world. Now, we need to pause. What do I mean by that? Well, I don't mean that we are called to speak harshly or that we are to be mean or to be judgmental or that we are to try to determine who is elect and who is not elect. We are not to play God. Rather, we are called to be heralds of righteousness, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is truly coming judgment and there is truly promised salvation. And by doing so, we serve as the point of demarcation between life and death. Listen to the way that Paul explains this truth. He says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To others, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? It is a weighty and difficult calling to be the aroma of Christ. To speak the gospel. Now to some, it will be a fragrance of life, and that is such a joy to proclaim the gospel and to see people believe, to believe that they will be set free from their sin, that they become a new creation, that they are bound for eternity. It is a wonder and a joy beyond all comprehension that God would send His Son to die the death that I deserved and to give me the life that He earned. But to others, the message that you are called to proclaim will stink of death. And they will ignore it. And they will reject it as foolishness. And it is a hard truth 
that many will come to the day of judgment with nothing to offer in their defense. And like in the days of Noah, will be swept away by God's judgment, unwilling to enter the ark of salvation. This is the line that is drawn in the sand of humanity. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And those who believe will be saved and those who do not will be lost. And to live by faith, you are called to be a herald of this message. Not because you are sufficient, not because you are righteous on your own, but like Noah, you are called because you have received and you believe the message of salvation from judgment. And you will be ridiculed and you will be ignored. And you will be silenced. But unlike the days of Noah, men and women from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation will be drawn into the ark of Christ. Not just one family, but people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation on earth will be drawn into salvation in Jesus Christ. For Christ is an ark broad enough to save all who come to Him in faith. His salvation is strong enough to draw in all for whom He died. And if we believe, then we will obey His command to go forth and make disciples. If we truly believe that there is judgment and salvation, we'll seek to share the gospel in our homes, in our church, in our neighborhood, and beyond. You see, faith affects our minds, our hearts, our actions, our world, and finally it affects our future. For true faith inherits God's promises. Look at verse 7 one last time here. We read the whole verse as each of these build on one another. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household, By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Our verse begins with the words, by faith, and it ends with the words, by faith. I think we can be rather certain what the author is seeking to communicate in this verse. We come to receive the blessing of salvation not by works, but by faith. Now, the image that the author uses to highlight the graceful nature of Noah's salvation is that he was an heir. Now, we know an heir is one who receives wealth and property merely because they are the child of the owner of that property. They receive by grace, not by their works. And the Word of God teaches us that our salvation comes to us this way. We are like children who have received an inheritance that we did not earn. Nevertheless, it is theirs because they are children. And what do we inherit as God's children? Well, it says that we inherit righteousness. Now, you might think, well, I wish I had gotten the house and my brother would have gotten the righteousness. What good is righteousness? But righteousness is the most precious gift that we could ever receive. For it is righteousness that unlocks the blessings of God. 
It is righteousness that saves us from judgment. It is righteousness that earns us entrance into heaven. It is righteousness that seals us for an eternity of fully enjoying God. There is nothing more valuable that we could be given than righteousness. And in comparison, everything else in this world is worthless. Christian, this is what you want. This is what you want to inherit. More than anything in this world, you want to inherit righteousness. But this righteousness doesn't come from our hearts. It doesn't come from our works. It doesn't come from our obedience. Rather, as the Word of God says, we inherit this righteousness. This righteousness belonged to somebody else, and then that person died, and that righteousness was then given to us as an inheritance. And all we must do is turn from our own righteousness, our own desire to make ourselves right before God, and in faith receive this righteousness that comes from somebody else. Listen to how Paul describes this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Now listen to this. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. You see, the righteousness that we inherit is the righteousness of Christ. By faith, we receive the reward that He earned. And that means that if you are in Christ, God does not judge you for your weak tainted sinful works rather he accepts and loves you based upon christ's work he calls you his child you are an heir and he declares over you beloved and because of this inherited righteousness you will be saved from the coming judgment and you will receive the blessing of knowing Christ and the power of His resurrection and entering into that creation cleansed from all brokenness and sin. These are the effects of faith. It changes your mind to believe. It changes your heart to properly fear God. It changes your actions that you would obey God. It changes the world through your proclamation of the gospel. And it changes your future, saving you from the flood of judgment to come, safely bringing you into the renewed creation through Christ Jesus our Lord, even life everlasting. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father God, as we come to you during this Advent season, which we remember the first Advent of Christ in His birth, and we look forward to the second Advent of Christ when He comes to judge both the living and the dead, we pray, O oh God, that you would give to us grace that by faith we might inherit His righteousness and therefore be saved from the judgment to come and delivered into your peace and your presence, that we might enjoy you for all eternity. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.